0: Find, please, in your uh, your worship guides, first of all, um, you'll see an insert uh, there about uh, our mission strategy. Uh, we'll vote on that Wednesday night, hope you'll be at Business Meeting 545. We'll vote on the bold uh, letters or words that you see there. And also in your worship guide where it says where, in the place of the sermon you'll see the two texts for our morning, Genesis 16. Uh, and then from Psalm 27. So I'll invite you to find that now, and um, let me read from Genesis 16 and Psalm 27, and I'll come back to those and tell the stories behind those texts in just a few minutes. From Psalm 27, verses 9 and 10, your slave is in your hands, Abram said, do with her whatever you think best. He's speaking to his wife Sarah about her maidservant Hagar. Then Sarai, or became Sarah, mistreated Hagar, so Hagar fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. From Psalm 27 the words of the Psalmist David, Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. If you look down below that, you'll see the points we're going to cover this morning, and I'd encourage you to follow along. Uh, God has a family plan, a plan for our families, and God's family plan is that when men and women marry, uh, they are faithful to each other, they love each other, they support each other, they keep their covenant to each other until one of them dies. When a husband and wife decide to have children, God's plan is that they protect those children and provide for those children and love on those children, and they don't yell at their children at Little League baseball games because they missed the fly ball. God's plan is that, that parents model what it means to follow Jesus for their children. God's family plan is that siblings, brothers and sisters, will treat each other kindly and respectfully, both when they're young, when the children are young, and then when they, when they grow old and the, the second parent has died and, and they're settling the estate, they're supposed to treat each other kindly and respectfully then too. And God's plan, God's family plan is that uh, children honor their fathers and their mothers when the children are young and when the parents are old. God's family plan is for an ideal family. The problem is that ideal families exist only in the reruns of sitcoms from the 1950s and the 1960s. That's the only place you'll find an ideal family. Family is hard. Family is, uh, is messy. No family is flawless. And, and not, that we're, not that we're all victims here. If there's a messiness in our family, some of us may have brought that on ourselves through our things we've said and Decisions we've made. We're not all victims, but that doesn't make family any easier. Family is hard, always has been. Consider, for example, the families of the Bible. Every family I can think of in the Bible was messy. Began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Cain, one of their sons, killed one of their other sons, Abel. Noah. The only story about Noah after the flood is this conflicted, complicated relationship with his sons. Abraham, we're go- we, talk- we read about Abraham and Sarah a moment ago. We're going to come back uh, to them. Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau, who hated each other. The Bible says that Isaac and Rebekah couldn't stand either one of them. The first example maybe, of in-law trouble in the, in the Bible. And then Miss Kristen told us the story of Joseph, you know, Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, and then they told a big fat lie to their dad. Jacob said Joseph had been mauled by uh, an animal and, and killed and broke Jacob's heart. Moses' family was a hot mess. Uh, King David's family was a violent mess. There was assault and, and violent violence, even murder among the children of King David. And Jesus, Jesus knew the messiness of family. John 7 says, and even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Mark 3 says that his brothers, including and his mother, said to people, ah, he's mentally ill. They said he's crazy. And then in Mark 6, there's this sad quote from Jesus that says, a prophet is not with honor among his relatives and even in his own home. Now to their credit, they came around after Jesus died and was resurrected, they came around. But Jesus knew uh, the messiness of family. Family is messy. Family is hard. If there's anything we learn from the families in the Bible, it is that your family and my family are not the first families to have troubles. Family is, is hard. I want you to do something with me. I want you to engage in a mental exercise with me. We did this seven or eight years ago, but it's, it's time we did it again. I want you to imagine that all around this room, at eye level, we have placed big, big those big giant post-it notes. You've seen those, right? At the office you do strategizing and mission statements and all that. So I want you to imagine that all around the room there are those big giant post-it notes stuck up up on the wall. And at the top of each are written these painfully common family struggles and, and family pain. So at the top of, of one, we'll start over here, you know, at the top of one it says, I'm the child of an alcoholic parent. We move on. The next one says, I was abused as a child by my father, by an uncle, or by a family friend. We keep going. The next one says, I was abused by my husband or my boyfriend. We keep going. The next one reads, I bear the pain of my parents' divorce. The next one, I bear the pain of my own divorce. Back near the corner, I, I, my father left us when I was a child. Back here, my, my spouse cheated. Over here, my, my adult child is rebellious and wandering. Over here, my, my adult child is breaking my heart. And all around the walls are those big post-it notes with, with all these common, painful family experiences. And then I say, I, I want you to get up, and there's a sharpie, there's a pin hanging by a string at each one. And... So I say I want you to get up and and go to whichever one. If there's one here that represents you, then I want you to go to that giant post-it note and I want you to write your name. Well, um, you sit there and um, you 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 know there's something inside you. You know which one I'm talking about, which one it represents you, but you won't go. It's just too embarrassing. It's too too shameful. And you don't want people to, you don't want people to think badly of you, so you just sit there. And so you, um, you sit there, you you hear some shuffling around you. And when you, you hear that shuffling around you, you you look up and you see that people are beginning uh, to move. They're beginning to walk to the walls. And so you, you think, well, if if they can go, I can go, and so you... You walk over to the one that most clearly represents you, and, and when, by the time you get there, there's several names already there. And you, you think to yourself, well, that, that's my Sunday school teacher. I, I didn't know. And that's, a, that's a deacon, and I, I didn't know. And well, I, I sit with them on the same pew. I didn't know, and that's, that's my minister. I didn't know. My point is that you are not alone. You are not alone in the messiness and the pain of family. And no demographic is immune. All up and down the socioeconomic ladder is family pain. Behind the flaps of the tents at the homeless camp there is family pain. And behind the the lovely doors of suburban homes. There's a lot of family pain. Family pain knows no particular demographic. You are not alone. Now you may be thinking, okay, Travis, um, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's a good, good, good you, you spent ten minutes telling us what we already know, and that's that family is hard. Well, what, uh, what hope is there? Let me offer some hope. First of all, if your family is, if you bear the pain of family, whatever that is, two weeks from tonight we're beginning a a prayer time at 5 o'clock in the community room. I'm so grateful for Dick and Tammy Steinberg who had this dream and who will facilitate that. No judgment, not judging each other, just supporting each other and praying for each other. In fact, if every the community room you know over here uh, near the off the gathering place on the back side of the building, if if everybody shows up who, who's experiencing family pain, we'll have to move to the gathering place. There won't be enough room in the community room. Here's another. Here's another suggestion. Would you consider becoming an adoptive or foster parent? Your family is imperfect, but it might be a wonderfully healthy family for a child who desperately needs a healthy family. Now, I don't want to over-glamorize or romanticize foster care or adoptive care, adoptive families. I... Our our oldest son Landon and his wife Erin became adoptive parents uh, just a few months ago. Their, Their first little boy just was reunited with his mother a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, and it was not a cakewalk. It was not a cakewalk. So I don't want to overly romanticize it. But those whom God calls He equips. So maybe someone here. And by the way, our church, because you gave so well to the Generations Campaign, we gave $100,000 to our one less ministry, which, is, which means one less kid needing adoptive or, or foster parents. So we, we will help you financially, because it's not easy financially. So we will help you. Would you consider being an adoptive or foster parent? Next, make amends where you should, and extend grace where you can. Make amends where you should, and extend grace where you can. Make amends. We talked about that in when we were talking about the twelve steps. We got to week something, and we we talked about making amends. Making amends means you go and you say, "I'm sorry." No excuse how can I make things right? Some of us have hurt our own families. Maybe we're parents with regrets, or maybe we're kids with regrets. Some of us have hurt our own families, so let's make amends where we should. We go and we say, I'm sorry, and how can I make things right? Let's make amends where we should, and let's extend grace where we can. AJ Swoboda teaches at uh, Fuller Seminary. He talked about his own dad who left him when AJ was was young and when AJ really needed a father. And AJ's been angry all those years and they've been estranged, he and his father, until his grandfather died when AJ's father's father died and AJ decided to go to the funeral home. So AJ stood in the back of the room at the funeral home and he watched his dad at the casket. He watched his dad grieve over his own father. He watched his dad, A.J. watched his dad lift the lifeless hand of, of his grandfather and say, I loved you. And he saw him weep and he saw his dad grieve over the loss of his own dad. And A.J. Swoboda said, I think God wanted me to see that. Not to enjoy my father's pain, but to see him as human. After he said my heart began to soften toward my father. And I went to my father, he said and I I hugged him and I told him I loved him. AJ Swoboda said, I decided to love him for who he is instead of judging him for who he is not. Think about that. Some of the people who hurt you were hurt themselves. Some of the people who modeled family so poorly for you had poor models themselves. That doesn't excuse bad behavior. It does not let them off the hook. But it is true. that Some of the people who made family or maybe still make family so hard for you had hard family themselves. So that doesn't excuse them, maybe it humanizes them. Maybe we can learn like A.J. Swoboda to love them for who they are instead of judging them for who they are not. So let's, let's make amends where we should and extend grace where we can. Next, practice wowza, W-O-W-S-E. I've talked about this before, it's so important to me. Wowza stands for with or without someone else. With or without someone else. Uh, I got this from Laurie Beth Jones, who wrote the book Jesus CEO, and she got that from Jesus. She spoke of Jesus' family. He he followed the mission of his father, even though his brothers didn't believe on him in him, John 7, even though in Mark 3 they said he's he's crazy. Even though Jesus said in Mark 6, I have no honor among my relatives even in my own home, Jesus followed the promptings of His Father with or without His family. And you may have to do that. There's some of you who would give anything for your family to encourage you. You'd give anything for mom or dad or husband or wife to say a way. You'd give anything if at least they would stop cutting you down and putting you down. Some of you are saying, well Travis, I sure I'd love some encouragement, but I'd settle for not so much discouragement. Somebody here is going to have to follow the promptings of God's Spirit with or without your family. Next, flee abusive behavior. I talked with a young lady years ago who had left an abusive relationship. And it was not just the man she loved that was abusing her. It was the family. It was like a system, an abusive system. And she said, I love them and I forgive them. I just don't go around them. Pretty good philosophy. You can't let them live in your head, so you have to love them and forgive them, but You don't have to go around. I said it last week, and I'll say it again, I'm sure, soon. If you're a woman in an abusive relationship, you, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there in order to be a good wife. You don't have to stay there in order to be a good husband. You are a lovely creation of the Father. You were created to be loved and appreciated and supported. You were not made to be belittled. You surely were not made to be hurt. Flee abusive relationships next, choose the courage of family. Choose the courage of family. There is a courage, there's a kind of courage celebrated with monuments, you know, when monuments to police officers and other first responders, appropriate monuments. Monuments to soldiers and appropriate monuments to soldiers. But there's a kind of courage that, that doesn't get you a monument, doesn't get you a trophy or a even a round of applause, it's the courage of family, the private, quiet courage of family. I think of a young lady that Carrie and I knew years ago who, whose husband left, left her to raise two boys on her own. A lot of long nights, a lot of lonely nights, juggling a lot of responsibilities. But that young lady was faithful to those boys, and she was faithful to her Lord, and she was faithful to her church, and those boys are grown now. She didn't get a monument. There was no trophy there. Just, just loneliness. That takes courage and caregiving. Caregiving takes courage. There's, there are people watching this by television who are caring for people. I've seen in our church family a lot of courageous family elderly men taking care of their wives, elderly wives taking care of their husbands children, taking care of mom and dad. They don't build monuments for that, and they don't, they don't give you a trophy for that. There's not anybody probably going to give you a round of applause for that. But caregiving takes courage. To love family members who continually disappoint you takes Courage. To love people in your family who continually disappoint you takes courage. I'm not talking about enabling bad behavior. I'm not talking about a kind of a, co- a codependent relationship where we excuse or even enable bad choices. But loving people who continue to disappoint you takes courage. They don't build monuments for that. and They don't give you trophies for that. and They don't even give you a round of applause for that. That's a private kind of personal courage so would you would you live would you demonstrate the courage of family family is uh, is hard and i want to I want to leave you with this i want to come back to those two verses those, those texts we read a moment ago first david david said do not reject me or forsake me, God. Then he continues with an affirmation, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Who says that? Who, who says even if my mom and dad leave me and abandon me, I, I know God will not abandon me. Who says that? Nobody. That's not a typical prayer. Gordon McDonald says he believes it comes from a painful experience in David's own childhood. Maybe his father, Jesse, Maybe he wasn't a great dad to David. Think about this story. Remember Samuel the prophet said, he went to Jesse's house and he said, Jesse, God has spoken to me and said the next king of Israel is in your household, is one of your sons. Bring me your sons and let me look at them. And so the boys came in and lined the wall. and. Samuel stood before each of them and looked into their eyes. God, is this the one? No, it's not the one. He went to the next one. Is this the one? No, he's not the one. Went to the next one. Is this not the one? He went through all the boys. Samuel was confused. He said, I was sure God said to me that one of your sons would be the next king of Israel. These, are these all your boys? And Jesse said, no, ah, no, nah, nah, there's David. I didn't even bring him in. I didn't figure he would be worth your consideration. What would that feel like when your dad didn't even give you honorable mention? We don't know. We don't know that that's the truth of that. But, but it would explain, would it not, when David, we know that he found, that David found eventually security in knowing that even if mother or father were to leave me and abandon me and forsake me, that my father with a capital F will never do that. And then there's the most One of the most poignant stories in all of Scripture, the story of Hagar. Abraham and Sarah are well-to-do and so Sarah has a maidservant, a personal maidservant to attend to her every need and desire. But Abraham and Sarah can't have children. Sarah thinks, well, it must be me and so she makes an unusual request of her maid, her servant Hagar. She says, "Hagar, I I can't give Abraham children, so I want you to sleep with him and 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 when you have a child, it'll be my child, mine mine and Abraham's, but you'll kind of be a kind of a surrogate mother if you will. So you you bear his child and it will be mine." Hagar must have thought, "What a weird idea." But she complied, she obeyed and Sure enough, became pregnant with Abraham's child. And Sarah, it was her idea, but when she saw Hagar begin to show, her good idea became deep jealousy, became rage. She was so angry at her maidservant. And then Abraham, we read it a moment ago, Abraham said, Do with her as you want. And Sarah was so mean to Hagar that Hagar had to leave, now with a newborn, a little boy named Ishmael. Now to leave family was not only shameful, not only embarrassing, but it was physically dangerous because women in those days had no way of making a living on their own. So she went to the desert. And the seventh verse of the 16th chapter of Genesis says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Man, that is powerful. Nobody knew where Hagar was. Nobody cared where Hagar was. But God was watching the entire story unfold. When Hagar sat down in the desert near a well, Abraham dispatched an angel to go take care of her. And she named the place Be'er Lahai Roy, which means Well of the Living One who sees me. Sees me. When Abraham looked at her, he saw a one night stand, but God saw her. When Sarah looked at her, she was just a, a cheap, trashy slave girl, but, but God saw her. Not the stigmatized version of her. Not the scandalized picture that, that Sarah would have painted of her. But God saw the vulnerable, lovely person that she was. And if you were to have coffee this afternoon with David and Hagar, they would say, we, we understand. They would say, we heard the preacher this morning made you walk around and write your name on post-it notes. We we understand. But they would say to you, You're gonna be okay. David would say, I wrote one day that. Though my father and mother forsake me, I knew that God would not, and He will not forsake you either. And Hagar would say, man, I was alone in the desert. Nobody cared. My family had, had kicked me out, and I was alone out there, and I thought I'd die there. And then, and then God sent an angel to me. There is hope. Hope means at the core of who you are, you're going to be okay. It may not mean everything's going to turn out all right, but you are You are going to be okay because the creator of the universe loves you with a love that will not let you go.